tender flame Tales of Romance I'm Mardell, reading The Blue Castle by L.M. Montgomery Chapter 42 It was not until early afternoon the next day that a dreadful old car clanked up Elm Street and stopped in front of the brick house. A hatless man sprang from it and rushed up the steps. The bell was rung as it had never been rung before, vehemently, intensely. The ringer was demanding entrance, not asking it. Uncle Benjamin chuckled as he hurried to the door. Uncle Benjamin had just dropped in to inquire how dear Doss a Valency was. Dear Doss, a Valency, he had been informed, was the same she had come down for breakfast, which she didn't eat, gone back to her room, come down for dinner, which she didn't eat, gone back to her room, that was all, she had not talked, and she had been let kindly, considerately, alone. Very good, Redfern will be here today, said Uncle Benjamin. And now Uncle Benjamin's reputation as a prophet was made. Redfern was here, unmistakably so. Is my wife here? he demanded of Uncle Benjamin without preface. Uncle Benjamin smiled expressively. Mr. Redfern, I believe. Very glad to meet you, sir. Yes, that naughty little girl of yours is here. We have been. I must see her. Barney cut Uncle Benjamin ruthlessly short. "'Certainly, Mr. Redfern, just step in here. "'Valency will be down in a minute.' "'He ushered Barney into the parlor "'and betook himself to the sitting-room and Mrs. Frederick. "'Go up and tell Valency to come down. "'Her husband is here.' "'But so dubious was Uncle Benjamin "'as to whether Valency could really come down in a minute, "'or at all, "'that he followed Mrs. Frederick on tiptoe up the stairs "'and listened in the hall.' "'Valency, dear,' said Mrs. Frederick tenderly, "'your husband is in the parlour asking for you.' "'Oh, mother,' Valency got up from the window and wrung her hands. "'I cannot see him, I cannot. "'Tell him to go away. "'Ask him to go away. "'I can't see him.' "'Tell her,' hissed Uncle Benjamin through the keyhole, that Redfern says he won't go away until he has seen her. Redfern had not said anything of the kind, but Uncle Benjamin thought he was that sort of a fellow. Valency knew he was. She understood that she might as well go down first as last. She did not even look at Uncle Benjamin as she passed him on the landing. Uncle Benjamin did not mind. Rubbing his hands and chuckling, he retreated to the kitchen, where he genially demanded of Cousin Stickles. Why are good husbands like bread? Cousin Stickles asked why. Because women need them, beamed Uncle Benjamin. Valency was looking anything but beautiful when she entered the parlor. Her white knight had paid fearful havoc with her face. She wore an ugly old brown and blue gingham, having left all her pretty dresses in the blue castle. But Barney dashed across the room and caught her in his arms. Valency, darling, oh, you 
Darling little idiot, whatever possessed you to run away like that? When I came home last night and found your letter, I went quite mad. It was twelve o'clock. I knew it was too late to come here then. I walked the floor all night. Then this morning Dad came. I couldn't get away till now. Valency, whatever got into you? Divorce, forsooth, don't you know? I know you only married me out of pity, said Valency, brushing him away feebly. I know you don't love me. I know... You've been lying awake at three o'clock too long, said Barney, shaking her. That's all that's the matter with you. Love you? Oh, don't I love you? My girl, when I saw that train coming down on you, I knew whether I loved you or not. Oh, I was afraid you would try to make me think you cared, cried Valancy passionately. Don't, don't. I know all about Ethel Traverse. Your father told me everything. Oh, Barney, don't torture me. I can never go back to you. Barney released her and looked at her for a moment. Something in her pallid, resolute face spoke more convincingly than words of her determination. Valency, he said quietly, father couldn't have told you everything because he didn't know it. Will you let me tell you everything? Yes, said Valency wearily. Oh, how dear he was. How she longed to throw herself into his arms as he put her gently down in a chair. She could have kissed the slender brown hands that touched her arms. She could not look up as he stood before her. She dared not meet his eyes. For his sake, she must be brave. She knew him, kind, unselfish. Of course he would pretend he did not want his freedom. She might have known he would pretend that. Once the first shock of realization was over, he was so sorry for her. He understood her terrible position. When had he ever failed to understand? But she would never accept his sacrifice. Never. You've seen Dad, and you know I'm Bernard Redfern, and I suppose you've guessed that I'm John Foster, since you went into Bluebird's chamber. Yes, but I didn't go in out of curiosity. I forgot you told me not to go in. I forgot. Never mind, I'm not going to kill you and hang you up on the wall, so there's no need to call for Sister Anne. I'm only going to tell you my story from the beginning. I came back last night intending to do it. Yes, I'm old Doc Redfern's son of Purple Pills and Bitters fame. Oh, don't I know it. Wasn't it rubbed into me for years? Barney laughed bitterly and strode up and down the room a few times. Uncle Benjamin, tiptoeing through the hall, heard the laugh and frowned. Well, surely Doss wasn't going to be a stubborn little fool. Barney threw himself into a chair before Valency. Yes, as long as I can remember, I've been a millionaire's son. But when I was born, Dad wasn't a millionaire. He wasn't even a doctor. He isn't yet. He was a veterinary and a failure at it. He and Mother lived in a little village up in Quebec and were abominably poor. I don't remember Mother having even a picture of her. She died when I was two years old. 
She was fifteen years younger than father, a little schoolteacher. When she died, Dad moved into Montreal and formed a company to sell his hair tonic. He dreamed the prescription one night, it seems. Well, it caught on. Money began to flow in. Dad invented or dreamed the other things, too. Pills, bitters, liniment, and so on. He was a millionaire by the time I was ten. With a house so big, a small chap like myself always felt lost in it. I had every toy a boy could wish for. And I was the loneliest little devil in the world. I remember only one happy day in my childhood, Valency. Only one. Even you were better off than that. Dad had gone out to see an old friend in the country and took me along. I was turned loose in the barnyard, and I spent the whole day hammering nails in a block of wood. I had a glorious day. When I had to go back to my room full of playthings in the big house in Montreal, I cried. But I didn't tell Dad why. I never told him anything. It's always been a hard thing for me to tell things, Valency. Anything that went deep. And most things went deep with me. I was a sensitive child, and I was even more sensitive as a boy. No one ever knew what I suffered, and Dad never dreamed of it. When he sent me to a private school, I was only eleven. The boys ducked me in the swimming tank until I stood on a table and read aloud all the advertisements of Father's patent abominations. I did it then. Barney clenched his fists. I was frightened and half drowned, and all my world was against me. But when I went to college and the Softs tried the same stunt, I didn't do it. Barney smiled grimly. They couldn't make me do it, but they could, and did, make my life miserable. I never heard the last of the pills and the bitters and the hair tonic. After using was my nickname. You see, I'd always such a thick thatch. My four college years were a nightmare. You know, or, well, you don't know, what merciless beasts boys can be when they get a victim like me. I had few friends. There was always some barrier between me and the kind of people I cared for, and the other kind, who would have been very willing to be intimate with rich old Doc Redfern's son, I didn't care for. But I had one friend, or thought I had, a clever bookish chap, a bit of a writer. That was a bond between us. I had some secret aspirations along that line. He was older than I was. I looked up to him and worshipped him. For a year, I was happier than I'd ever been. Then, a burlesque sketch came out in the college magazine, a mordant thing ridiculing Dad's remedies. The names were changed, of course, but everybody knew what and who was meant. Oh, it was clever. Damnably so, and witty. McGill rocked with laughter over it. I found out he had written it. Oh, were you sure? Valancy's dull eyes flamed with indignation. Yes, he admitted it when I asked him. Said a good idea was worth more to him than a friend any time. And he added a gratuitous thrust. You know, Redfern, there are some things money won't buy. For instance, it won't buy you a grandfather. Well, it was a nasty slam. I was young enough to feel cut up. 
and it destroyed a lot of my ideals and illusions, which was the worst thing about it. I was a young misanthrope after that, didn't want to be friends with anyone. And then, the year after I left college, I met Ethel Traverse. Valency shivered. Barney, his hands stuck in his pockets, was regarding the floor moodily and didn't notice it. Dad told you about her, I suppose. She was very beautiful, and I loved her. Oh, yes, I loved her. I won't deny it or belittle it now. It was a lonely, romantic boy's first passionate love, and it was very real. And I thought she loved me. I was fool enough to think that. I was wildly happy when she promised to marry me for a few months. Then I found out she didn't. I was an involuntary eavesdropper on a certain occasion for a moment. That moment was enough. The proverbial fate of the eavesdropper overtook me. A girlfriend of hers was asking her how she could stomach Doc Redfern's son and the patent medicine background. His money will gild the pills and sweeten the bitters, said Ethel with a laugh. Mother told me to catch him if I could. We're on the rocks. But, pa, I smell turpentine whenever he comes near me. Oh, Barney, cried Valancy, wrung with pity for him. She had forgotten all about herself and was filled with compassion for Barney and rage against Ethel Traverse. How dared she? Well, Barney got up and began pacing round the room. That finished me completely. I left civilization and those accursed dopes behind me and went to the Yukon. For five years I knocked about the world in all sorts of outlandish places. I earned enough to live on. I wouldn't touch a cent of Dad's money. Then one day I woke up to the fact that I no longer cared. I hang about Ethel one way or another. She was somebody I'd known in another world, that was all. But I had no hankering to go back to the old life. None of that for me. I was free, and I meant to keep so. I came to Mistowis, saw Tom McMurray's Island. My first book had been published the year before and made a hit. I had a bit of money from my royalties. I bought my island. But I kept away from people. I had no faith in anybody. I didn't believe there was such a thing as real friendship or true love in the world. Not for me, anyhow. The son of purple pills. I used to revel in all the wild yarns they told of me. In fact, I'm afraid I suggested a few of them myself by mysterious remarks which people interpreted in the light of their own prepossessions. Then you came. I had to believe you loved me, really loved me, not my father's millions. There was no other reason why you should want to marry a penniless devil with my supposed record. And I was sorry for you. Oh, yes, I don't deny I married you because I was sorry for you. And then I found you the best and jolliest and dearest little pal and chum a fellow ever had. Witty, loyal, sweet. You made me believe again in the reality of friendship and love. The world seemed good again just because you were in it, honey. I'd have been willing to go on forever just as we were. I knew that the night I came home and saw my home light shining out from the island for the first time and knew you were there waiting for me. 
After being homeless all my life, it was beautiful to have a home, to come home hungry at night and know there was a good supper and a cheery fire, and you. But I didn't realize what you actually meant to me till that moment at the switch. Then it came like a lightning flash. I knew I couldn't live without you, that if I couldn't pull you loose in time, I'd have to die with you. I admit it bowled me over, knocked me silly. I couldn't get my bearings for a while. That's why I acted like a mule. But the thought that drove me to the tall timber was the awful one that you were going to die. I'd always hated the thought of it, but I suppose there wasn't any chance for you. So I put it out of my mind. Now I had to face it. You were under sentence of death, and I couldn't live without you. When I came home last night, I had made up my mind that I'd take you to all the specialists in the world, that something surely could be done for you. I felt sure you couldn't be as bad as Dr. Trent thought, when those moments on the track hadn't even hurt you. And I found your note, and went mad with happiness, and a little terror, for fear you didn't care much for me, after all, and had gone away to get rid of me. But now it's all right, isn't it, darling? Was she, Valency, being called darling? I can't believe you care for me, she said helplessly. I know you can't. Oh, what's the use, Barney? Of course you're sorry for me. Of course you want to do the best you can to straighten out the mess. But it can't be straightened out that way. You couldn't love me. Me? She stood up and pointed tragically to the mirror over the mantel. Certainly not even Alan Tierney would have seen beauty and the woeful, haggard little face reflected there. Barney didn't look at the mirror. He looked at Valancy as if he would like to snatch her or beat her. Love you, girl, you're the very core of my heart. I hold you there like a jewel. Didn't I promise you I'd never tell you a lie? Love you? I love you with all there is of me to love. Heart, soul, brain, every fiber of body and spirit thrilling to the sweetness of you. There is nobody in the world for me but you, Valancy. Ah, you're a good actor, Barney, said Valancy with a wan little smile. Barney looked at her. So you don't believe me yet? Uh, I can't. Uh, damn, said Barney violently. Valancy looked up startled. She had never seen this Barney scowling, eyes black with anger, sneering lips, dead white face. You don't want to believe it said Barney in the silk-smooth voice of ultimate rage. You're tired of me. You want to get out of it, free from me. You're ashamed of the pills and the liniment, just as she was. Your sterling pride can't stomach them. Oh, it was all right as long as you thought you hadn't long to live. A good lark. You could put up with me. But a lifetime with old Doc Redfern's son is a different thing. Oh, I understand perfectly. I've been very dense, but I understand at last. Valancy stood up. She stared into his furious face. Then she suddenly laughed. You darling, she said, you do mean it. You do really love me, or you wouldn't be so enraged if you didn't. 
Barney stared at her for a moment. Then he caught her in his arms with the little low laugh of the triumphant lover. Uncle Benjamin, who had been frozen with horror at the keyhole, suddenly thawed out and tiptoed back to Mrs. Frederick and Cousin Stickles. Everything is all right, he announced jubilantly. Dear little Doss, he would send for his lawyer right away and alter his will again. Doss should be his sole heiress to her that had, should certainly be given. Mrs. Frederick, returning to her comfortable belief in an overruling providence, got out the family Bible and made an entry under marriages. Please join me next time for another romantic chapter of The Blue Castle by L. M. Montgomery, here on Love's Tender Flame. Until then, love deeply and live beautifully.